take a roller coaster, but take it off the tracks and put it into a water slide. So, and then get rid of all the seatbelts. Welcome to the Bar Bend Podcast, where we talk to the smartest athletes, coaches, and minds from around the world of strength. I'm your host, David Thomas Tao, and this podcast is presented by barbend.com. Today, I'm talking to Blaine McConnell, currently a member of Team USA's bobsled national team. He's also arguably the world's strongest bobsledder. Blaine is a former collegiate and arena football player who found success in CrossFit, competing on a team at the 2016 CrossFit Games. After finding out about Team USA's bobsled combine through a friend, a story we discussed in this recording, Blaine found his current sport. We talk about the unique strength and explosiveness requirements in bobsledding, along with training at the elite level and how those interested in the sport, like you at home, can learn more and get involved. Also, I want to take a second to say we're incredibly thankful that you listened to this podcast. So if you haven't already, be sure to leave a rating and review of the Barbend podcast in your app of choice. I'd also recommend subscribing to the Barbend newsletter to stay up to date on all things strength. Just go to barbend.com slash newsletter to start becoming the strongest person in your gym today. Now let's get to it. Blaine McConnell, thanks so much for joining us. We're, we're doing this remote. I believe we're on different continents right now, which is which is kind of rare for when, we're, for when we record podcasts. Uh, I'm in New York. You're in, you're in Iceland right now? I am. I'm in the north part of Iceland in, in a town called Akureyri, which is the second most popular city, I guess, here in the country. That's that's behind Reykjavik, correct? Yeah. So, I mean, it's a big gap. Reykjavik has like 250,000 people that live there. And then we're the second largest town and we have about 18,000. That's, that's a, <laughs> that's a really massive gap. Okay. Here's, here's the question. So I, I've been to Iceland. I was very fortunate to go. It's a beautiful country. I'm, I'm amazing in, in many respects. How do you end up in the North of Iceland? And I, it, that seems like a pretty small city, I guess not by Icelandic standards, but, but what brings you there or what brought you there? Um, well, my now, excuse me, my now wife is what brought me here. So we met in 2015 when we were both in like the CrossFit world. Mm -hmm. Um, and this is where she's from. So we got married out here. We've been living out here for the past two years. Uh, and that's kind of what brought me up to the North part. Otherwise, I don't think many people know about this town because Reykjavik is so popular, but up here is a little bit more peaceful and quiet. So it's fun. I was going to ask, what are the pros to being an athlete training in, in a remote location? And I guess that's probably number one. There's not a lot of distractions. There's not a lot of distractions at all. And I mean, it's to the point where it's almost like when I'm not training, I'm just bored. Like I don't have <laughs> anything else really going on. And you do all like the touristy stuff when you live here for the first year. But then after that, you kind of just like settle into like your daily life. Um, but my daily life as an athlete works really well here. So I just basically train and eat and hang out and train again and just repeat. There are, there are worse lives to, uh, to live. That's for sure. So training for, for bobsled, like you are right now, what is your, what does your training week look like? I guess you could call this the off season because there aren't really competition sports competitions anywhere right now, but you know, what does your kind of week to week training look like these days? Uh, right now I'm doing double sessions, four days a week, uh, train a total of five days a week. 
So I'll have one day where I just do some like easy weight room work. Uh, but most of my mornings I go to the track, I'll have speed work that I have. Um, and then I'll have a break during the day. And then the afternoon I go back to the weight room and do some of my more strength focused work. And then usually like this time of year would be the time that I would transition back to like more very specific bobsled training. Mm -hmm. But because of everything that's going on right now, our loft season is going to be quite a bit longer. So I'll be in this kind of phase for a couple more months before I'm actually able to get back somewhere where I can start pushing sleds again. But normally around July, August, we would be back at the training center in New York and actually like pushing sleds and training as a, as a team again, getting ready for the season. Is there anything that you can do where you are right now? I mean, I'm not, do you, is there a bobsled track where you, where you are? No, the closest <laughs> track to me is in Norway, which is not close. It's not close so, at all. <laughs> no. Well, is there anything that you do in your training during the off season to replicate like a sled, like pushing a bobsled that you can do kind of where you are now? Uh, somewhat. So this season it being a little bit more new, unique, I've prepared a little bit differently where I'm actually having somebody like build a replica sled that I can use and push. So it'll have wheels on it and I can add weights to it and I can use it on just like a track and just push it back and forth. Um, other than that though, like prowler pushes and sled pushes, that kind of stuff, I guess would be the most specific that I can get towards pushing a bobsled. Um, but having somebody out here like fabricate an actual device that has like the handles on it and I can actually mimic the same motions, uh, is the plan for now until I can get back into actually pushing sleds. I'm extraordinarily curious to see what that like track replica bobsled looks like. You're gonna have to post about it. Like I, I can't even imagine what it's going to look like on the track. Yeah, it'll, I mean, it'll basically be like a skeleton shell with wheels, but then once it starts moving, you'll be like, oh, I can see how that's a bobsled. Gotcha. Are you going to, are you going to like paint it cool colors? Are you going to name it anything? Like, <laughs> I don't, I don't even know. It's, <laughs> I guess I'll have to name it something and then get some of the Icelandic guys out here to start pushing too. maybe get an Icelandic team going. Does, does Iceland not have a, a national bobsled team currently? No, they don't. No, I don't. Think about it. I don't think any of the Scandinavian countries have a team. I think Sweden used to, but they don't anymore. And like Norway doesn't have a team. Denmark doesn't have a team. Iceland doesn't have a team. None of the, the Scandinavian countries do. It's it, That's interesting to me. And, and that's perhaps small minded. My stereotype is Scandinavian countries excel in, in winter sports, you know, yeah. bobsled being one. So uh, in my mind, I would have thought, oh, yeah, Denmark's got a great bobsled team, probably. Yeah. But, um, what are the countries, what are the international powerhouses for bobsled right now? Uh, Germany, they're one of the best, they actually are the best countries of the last couple of years and years before that, they've been the guys winning the, the golds in the Olympics and like world championships year after year behind them would be like Latvia. Mm -hmm. Um, they've also had really strong competing teams over the past few years. Um, and then from there, it kind of starts becoming like a mixture of who's going for like number three between like Russia, Canada, us. Um, you've got like China and Korea who are putting a ton of money, obviously, because the last two Olympics have been in those countries. So they're really pumping in resources, trying to get their teams up to competitive levels. So, uh, but by far, like Germany has been the top guys for a few years now. 
Now, one thing I noticed about all these top countries, you, you mentioned Germany, Latvia, the United States, Russia, China, Korea. I might be forgetting one that you mentioned there. Um, they all have pretty good weightlifting programs at this at this point. Uh, is is there a, a correlation on the international stage between weightlifters and 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 bobsledders? Yeah, uh, I would say somewhat so. Um, we do a lot of weightlifting for our sport. Like the way I like to think of us is we're sprinters first, but we're basically the strongest sprinters in the world. So <laughs> like we're not running nine second hundreds, but we're running like 10 second hundreds and we're all cleaning 170 kilos and snatching hundred plus kilo, like just numbers that would be competitive in the, the weightlifting world. So you definitely have a large group of some powerful people when you go to some of these races. I have an idea for an off-season event for bobsledders. It's it's a it's a it's a hundred meter race, but at the beginning of it, you have to power clean 150 kilos, and at the end of it, you have to power snatch 115 kilos. And it's not done. You and then and then you cross the finish line. That sounds like the perfect bobsledder foot race. You'd have to. I mean, 150 is like the minimum. You'd have to. <laughs> I would say you'd have to power clean the 150, sprint 50 meters holding the 150, drop it, <laughs> power clean the 115, and then finish the race with the 115. Are, are we describing just Blaine, like the, the Blaine McConnell's bespoke perfect perfect event? Yeah, for sure. I'd win that absolutely. Well, so you you say that you're the world's. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna put you on a on a pedestal here, or at least put a spotlight on you. You call yourself the world's strongest bobsledder. Yes, now, I do. Bobsledders, it seems like, are pretty strong across the board. So it's not like you don't have any competition there, right? It's not like it's not like you're calling yourself the world's strongest out of a group of people that don't strength train. So how do you know you're the world's strongest? And is there anyone that's kind of hot on your heels? I mean, it started as a joke. We were at a training camp in Canada with a bunch of the guys from the team, and we were just kind of going through talking about stuff and started coming up, um, about like who might be the strongest. And it happened to be the time that I hit my PR clean. So I just cleaned 200 kilos that day. And that's where like the conversation kind of spurred from. And just like knowing some numbers off of like who the next strongest guys in like the sport would be like, we started joking around. I was like, you're probably the world's strongest bobsledder. I was like, that's a pretty dope title. I'm putting that on my Instagram. But I've had people from other countries who I race against contact me and, and they were like, dude, that's a sick title. And you probably are the world's strongest. Like nobody called me out on it yet. Other countries have even said, you probably are that guy. And just from numbers that I know, I don't think anybody's, I mean, nobody's cleaning 200. Nobody's snatching over 150. Nobody's back squatting 260. Like they're not putting those numbers up, which, and also to be fair, the world's strongest bobsledder is it's a cool title, but in the sport of bobsled, it means very little. Like it's more of just a for fun thing, right. but it's just, it's a cool thing that we kind of played with. And then people have just kind of accepted it. Like, yeah, you probably are that guy. So you, it, it in, I mean, the sport of bobsled world's fastest bobsledder is what you really, is what you really want there. Right. You want to be one of the faster guys. Yeah. So, I mean, bobsled's a unique sport. Like the, 
you could go find the fastest guy out there. He might not be the best pusher. Mm -hmm. And on the other side, like you could also go find the strongest guy out there and he also might not be the best pusher. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's one of those unique sports where like good pushers are just good pushers. There's no like blueprint for that. Cause I want to say the fastest guy I've heard of has run like nine, nine hundreds. Okay. And he was for Great Britain. I want to say his name is Joel Farron or something like that. I might be pronouncing his last name wrong, but he did an entire bobsled season. And like, as soon as the bobsled season was over, he went and did a track meet and ran a nine, nine, like within weeks of the bobsled season finishing, which is absolutely insane to do. So I'm, but, and also he was a great pusher too. So he was the fastest guy out there and also a fast pusher, but we've seen fast guys come out and they just can't push the sled that well. So to rewind, I should ask, I should have asked this at the beginning, just to give folks a little bit of, of context. Um, there are a few different disciplines in, in Bob, in bobsled for those maybe not super familiar with kind of the winter, you know, downhill track sports. There's the two man bobsled and the four man bobsled, which do you focus on? Uh, four man is what I focus on. Okay. Um, I'm kind of like on our team specifically, we've got a couple guys that are just monster two man pushers. Mm-hmm. And there's just like, there's no point in even trying to compete for that position because they're not going to get beat. Mm-hmm. But in the team, in the world of four man bobsled, there's a lot more that goes into it. And there's, it's a lot bigger of a skill because mm-hmm. it's basically, you got to work with four other individuals on this kind of ballet dance of getting into a sled and being able to push fast and be able to work well as a teammate. So four man is more of my focus than two man. And this is something that, um, you know, for a lot of us, our introduction to bobsled was through the movie cool runnings. And, uh, you know, when I was a kid, I remember visiting Calgary during the summer and like going to that track and just loving it. When it comes to, I mean, obviously the, the pushing and the ballet sequence as you kind of likened it to of getting into the sled in, in harmony with your teammates, it, I mean, it's a game of not just seconds, but, but milliseconds and hundreds of a second. It's, I mean, it's just mm-hmm. such an incredibly precise, fast thing. When it comes to being in the sled, how much of that is just, for lack of a better word, and, and pardon my ignorance, holding on for dear life? And, and how much of it is you know, actually being able to, you know, control your, your, your body weight and being engaged while you're going downhill after the push? Um, I would say when you're doing your first few races, it's just hold on for dear life. Like you don't know what you're getting into. Like my rookie season, almost every time I went down the track for the first time, it was just hold on and see how, how it goes. Um, as you get more familiar with the sport and you start to progress a little bit, it becomes, like 10% of just holding on for dear life and 90% you need to know exactly where you're at in the track and like Mm -hmm. know what turn you're in Mm -hmm. and what turn's going to come up because if you're going to have a hard left turn and you don't know it's there and all of a sudden you start slamming to the left or right, Right. that's going to shift the sled as it's going down. And that could be a hundredth of a second, which means like I've seen races where a hundredth of a second could end up being four places, like Mm -hmm. five places almost. So if you don't know where you're at and you could really start screwing up the pilot and he can, he'll feel it and he'll yank you out of the sled and put somebody else in there. Cause he'll know like, okay, this guy's bouncing around back there. I can't have him sit in my sled if he doesn't know what we're doing on the track right now. So your first few races, it's just have fun, go for a ride, see how you like it. And then once you start figuring that out, then it actually gets more fun when you know the track. Cause you're like, all right, this is coming. This is kind of like, 
you really can feel like that was a really good run or you can feel like, okay, that was maybe not so good. And that's when it becomes like even more fun because you're actually like competing in the sport versus just going for a ride. So we'll, we'll get to your athletic background in a second. You're someone who went from the, the world of athletics and then you played pro football. And then, and then I actually first came across you when you were really heavily entrenched in the CrossFit community, which, which you, you still are in many ways. Um, CrossFit Games athlete and married to a CrossFit Games athlete. And now uh, the sport of bobsled. Is that somewhat normal for bobsled? Is it a sport that people tend to find after careers um, or, or years competing in, in different sports? In the U.S., very much so. Okay. Um, very rarely are you finding somebody on our team that this is like what they grew up wanting to do. Like we have a couple guys who just happen to be living close enough to like the Olympic training center that they kind of knew about bobsled from an early age. Mm -hmm. And those guys kind of grew up knowing that they were going to be bobsledders, but almost everybody else on the team, this is their second, third or fourth sport that Mm -hmm. they've kind of jumped into, um, which is part of the reason why the U S can find themselves struggling a little bit because they're getting athletes who maybe are already coming in with like pre-existing injuries or they've got guys that are just trying to like find something to do for the last few years of their competitive life mm-hmm. where like Germany, these guys grow up like being bobsledders because bobsled is one of the biggest sports in their country. And like the same thing with Latvia, they got statues of bobsledders in the country of Latvia or over where Latvia is at because that's how much they love bobsled. Like these guys are worshiped over there where in the U S it's just kind of like, we got NFL, we got NBA, we got baseball, like all these sports that grab what may be ideal bobsledders mm-hmm. and they take those guys for 10, 15 years. And then the U S is kind of just left trying to figure out like, how are we going to put together good teams and good, find good athletes. So recruiting on our part is huge. Um, but yeah, I would say there's two guys on our team right now who grew up wanting to be bobsledders. Everybody else, this is at least their second, if not third sport that they've entered into. Let's talk about the kind of some of the prerequisites for, for, for mm-hmm. bobsled. We, and we touched on this earlier. You're, you're strong, you're fast, uh, and you have to be a team player, certainly. Like there's that mental aspect. I'm sure you, you have to get along with other people and be able to work in sync and learn how to coordinate with folks. What are some of the, you mentioned like minimum, you basically need to power clean 150 and you need to be kind of this fast. And obviously just being strong and just being fast doesn't make you a good pusher. But if, if you were to talk to someone, call it in their mid-20s, and they're an athlete and they're interested in maybe getting involved in bobsled, what are some of the baseline metrics that you think they're going to need to achieve as far as strength, as far as speed, before they've even got like a spitting chance of really training for the sport seriously? Honestly, man, if you're, if you're that young, then like the organization is going to take you in with open arms and mm-hmm. help build you up to where you need to be. Cause like I said, like it's, it's rare that we're getting like 22 year olds coming into the sport. Like mm-hmm. most guys are upper twenties. I didn't even, st- like I started when I was 33 and we have a group of guys that are above 30 on the team right now. So if you come in and you're 22, like, I don't think they're going to be too picky about where you're at right now. As long as you can, like, if you can run halfway decent, lift halfway decent, they have 15 plus years that they can work with you and get you where they need to be. So, but like, just in general, I would say like, if you're going to do any kind of like combine test, mm-hmm. uh, what we do is we run a 45 for our combine. 
And what they really look at is like 45 meter, meters or yards? Meters. Sorry. Okay. Yeah. We do a 45 meter test. Uh, what they really focus on is that first 30. So they want to anywhere like around the three sixes, three sevens, and they go, okay, he's got potential. Um, we do a broad jump, uh, anything really over three meters. They look at you and kind of go, okay, he's got potential. Uh, and then like the clean, our max, like you can max out on points. So hundred points is 150 kilos. Okay. And then like, if you're anywhere around 120, then they're all, they're going to look at you and be like, he has potential again. And then the last thing that we do for the test is back squat. And we do a three rep back squat and hundred points is 200 kilos. So 440 pounds. Um, so if you could three rep anything within like an 80% range of that, then most likely they're going to look at you and want you to stick around and continue to be in the organization and kind of grow. And maybe you're not going to be on the national team right away, but we have developmental teams that you can still slide. You can still push, you can still get experience and get reps as you're trying to work your way up to hit those physical numbers. So then eventually people could end up making onto the national team who have been there for three, four years, maybe just trying and just sticking around with it. When you first did that, that kind of combine, did you, were you able to achieve all of those marks kind of coming in from the CrossFit world? I achieved almost all of them, except like, except the sprinting. Mm. Um, because I was in the CrossFit world, we don't do any sprinting in CrossFit, which <laughs> I think anybody that's followed me on social media over the past couple of years has known, like I'm harping on people like go sprint more, like go run more. Um, so I did very little, if any sprint work, leading up to my combine, but everything else I did fine. Like I'm naturally explosive. So like doing broad jumps and lifting and all that kind of stuff, I scored really high on my overall combine test and then worked on my sprinting over the first year and a half. And now it's to the point where like, I could probably max out everything fairly closely. What about body, body type, things like height, weight, um, are, are those factors when it comes to kind of building a good bobsledding, is it, is it, is the right word crew or the, or you would say sled? Yeah. Okay. Uh, we said cruise, cruise, sled, whatever. Um, but weight is huge. Weight is very important. Um, the way that like, for example, four man works is you've got a minimum that the sled is allowed to weigh. So I think it's 210 kilos or something like that is like the, the lightest that the sled can possibly be. And that's just and a, you've got, a sled by itself. That's not with people. Yeah, this, that's not with people. That's a sled by itself. So you have a maximum weight that the sled's allowed to be, which is like six, I don't know the numbers exactly, but it's like 670 or 680, something like that. Mm -hmm. So when you pile all four guys in plus the sled, it can't weigh more than that 680 or 690. Gotcha. So if you have a bunch of heavy guys, then you can have a sled that's at minimum weight and you're more than likely going to push faster because you're pushing a light sled versus if you have a bunch of light guys, you got to make up that weight by adding uh, weight into the sled. So now you've got a bunch of lighter guys pushing a heavy sled, not necessarily going to be the fastest push at the top. So weight's very important. Height, not so much. It's just, it's basically, I mean, we've got guys that are five, seven and we've got guys that are six, three. So mm -hmm. If you can fold yourself over far enough where you can fit in a sled, then they'll find a spot for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it might not be the most comfortable thing if you're if you're a bit taller, but but if you can fit, right. um, yeah, but, if you can fit in the sled, then you're going for a ride. How did you discover bobsled? Because um, I first came across you 
as when you were a, a, when you were really in the world of CrossFit, and that was kind of what you were what you were becoming becoming known for. You were a, a big, strong guy, and, and in those days, back in like 2015, 2016, um, the CrossFitters that always stuck out to you first were the were the the strongest guys, right? Because like, who wants to watch someone with a fast friend time? I want to see someone snatch 300 pounds. Was kind of like you know where my head was at at the time. So yeah. you were one of those guys. You were really really strong. But how did you discover bobsled, and then? The second part of that question is when did you decide to make that your athletic focus? Man, those were almost on the same day. Um, so ah, that, that's, I, that's commitment. <laughs> it was, it was, I was already like beginning a transition period. Mm, so like okay. I said, I've been doing CrossFit for a while. Um, at the time I was working at CrossFit Invictus mm-hmm. uh, and it was during the 2018 uh, winter Olympics. Okay. So this was around February time, I think. And it was me, Sam Dancer, Jared Enderton, Sam's wife, Jan. Like we just, Garrett Fisher was there. We all had a group of people just at the house watching uh, TV and the Olympics popped on and bobsled came in and almost immediately everybody in the room was like, this is what you need to be doing. Like stop doing anything else that you're doing and go try bobsled. <laughs> so I was like, sure, why not? And then the weird thing about it was because Jared was there, he's been working at the training center in Colorado and he knows some of the athletes that are bobsledders mm-hmm. and he knew some of the coaches. So as this came up on TV, Jared was like, I can get you in contact with people that can make this happen. And like right then and there, he kind of got on his phone, sent an email. And then like, I want to say a week or two later, I got an email from one of the recruiting coaches. and was just like, we have a combine coming up in about two months. You should go try it. And I was like, all right, I'm in. So I immediately just, flip the switch and was like, I'm going to be training for bobsled and see how this goes. Let's, let's talk about the, the courage aspect of bobsled. Cause it's something that uh, you say you have to be a, a, a decent runner and a decent lifter to really have a chance at bobsled. So that completely counts me out for my life. Um, <laughs> but, but when it comes, but the other thing I probably don't have in spades or enough of is, I mean, this is a sport that, to a lot of folks, it's, it's frankly terrifying. You are going very fast down literally an an icy tube. Let's you know call it what it is with yeah. a lot of with a lot of weight with six hundred plus kilos of sled and and people. And uh, you know it's it's something that if I were to try and wrap my head around, I'd say you know maybe I'll jump out of a plane before I try that. So what was was that something that it took a little while for you to get over that hump or were you like, Nope, I'm in and that's part of it. And I'm, I'm like, I'm good on that mental aspect. Um, I would say it took a few rides to kind of get used to it first. Like you don't really know what a bobsled trip is like until you've been in a bobsled gone down. Trip. There's nothing I can, the, the closest thing I would be able to like try to help you understand what's going on in a bobsled would be like, take a roller coaster, but take it off the tracks and put it into a water slide. So, and then get rid of all the seatbelts. So that's basically, cause that's, I mean, water slides are like half tubes. You're in a a cart and you have no seatbelt and you're just hoping that you make it down the same way that you started. So the first few rides, you're just kind of like pushing, you just hop in and you're like experiencing everything for the first time. But for me, like, I've always been someone like, I like thrills. I like adventure. I don't, I'm not, not going to shy off of like jumping off a cliff or doing all that kind of stuff. So for me, the whole time was, was really fun. The, the 
biggest part to kind of get over it was kind of like that initial like sickness because you don't know what you're getting into. So my first few rides, I was just rattling my brain around. And by the time I got down to the bottom, I was like, I'm going to puke. Like, I don't feel good. So then you start figuring out like the right way to sit, the right way to kind of like hold on. Things get a lot easier and then it becomes more fun. Do you, is there anything you miss about the, about the CrossFit world? I mean, you're, you're, not, you're not completely out of the CrossFit world and I'm sure you still have a lot of friends. You're, you're probably training around CrossFitters is my assumption. Yeah. But is there anything you miss about CrossFit competition? No. Not <laughs> I mean, I wish I could say, yeah, this was fun. Or like, I never belonged in CrossFit. And the, the fact that I lasted the three to four years that I did and was able to make it to the games is 100% a miracle on some sort of level because my body was not built for CrossFit. Like you said, I was a bigger, stronger guy. Like I competed at CrossFit almost 220 pounds. And I, ha- I remember having to do Murph at 220 with a weight vest on. And at the games, when we did it, we had to like run with a partner and like hold them on a stretcher. And I'm just, and it was one of the first events that we did. And it's part of the reason why I stopped doing CrossFit. Cause I went like, okay, if this is the games and like, this is what's supposed to be it. I'm not enjoying myself right now. And I don't know if I want to come back to this, <laughs> but to be fair, like the reason I stuck with CrossFit for so long was because of everyone that's in that community. And it's another reason why I still like stay involved in that community. Like I still train at CrossFit gyms when I travel, like the first thing I'm going to go look for, if I'm going to train is like, what is the CrossFit gym around me? Because those communities uh, that those gyms have built and like across the world, they're just so welcoming. They're like the people that are around there are great. Um, so like being in that community is probably what kept me in there a lot longer than I actually wanted to be in there because I like being around those people. I like training hard with those people. I like competing against them. I made a ton of friends by going to the games and going to regionals and just traveling around and doing all that. So like the, that aspect of CrossFit, I do miss because right now, like, especially in bobsled and this time of year, it's like, I'm basically training by myself just competing while my teammates are spread around the whole country doing their own thing. Um, so you do kind of miss a little bit of that community aspect of it, uh, which is something I think that is 100% unique to that CrossFit world. Well, Blaine, I'm not sure if this is any consolation, but you are not the first CrossFit Games athlete from 2016 who has told me that Murph made them want to quit CrossFit. You're the first one, I think, to say it publicly on a podcast, but uh, I've talked to you. Yeah. Murph made me want to quit. Like, (laughs) I don't, it's, okay, I want to say Murph with the worm made me want to quit because doing all of that with the worm and like, Basically, in 2016 games, we had almost every single workout involved that stupid worm. Yep. And by the time I was done with it, my ears were bleeding because, like, we'd bring it from shoulder mm-hmm. to shoulder, and it just keeps rubbing on my ears. So my ears are ripping off, and I'm just exhausted from picking this thing up 150 times over the weekend. And at the, that time, I was just like, I'm never touching a worm again. I'm not picking this thing up ever again. I'm, I'm done. The thing about the worm, about a lot of the implements of the game, it's like the worm, there's the pig, which is the, the like tire flip thing. They, yeah. they make the snail, which is that big round thing they have to push. It's like full of sand or metal shavings or something. If you ever get to touch those implements at the games, especially the, the, the worm, which I have, you're like, this is, looks pretty bad. And then you actually work out with it and you're like, this is much worse. This yes. is much worse than I would have thought. Cause the worm's not weighted evenly. It's not. No, that's right. It's like, 
it goes like heavy, light, heavy, light, heavy again. If you're on either end, you're getting hammered by that thing because that's the worst place to be. We had a weird setup to where like the women on our team were a lot shorter than the men. So it's like sagging like this where basically they're just trying to like keep their shoulder connected because it's too high for them. So they're just kind of like flipping it back and forth. And then the guys are just getting crushed by it. So I got to go back and look at, I'm going to go back and look at some video footage of the 2016 games. And I'm going to see if like on camera, I can find the exact moment when Blaine was like, no, this is, I'm done with this. <laughs> it's, I, I can tell you exactly what it was. We So we had to, first you had to like start by running 600 meters to go pick up your little gurney. Mm-hmm. Then you had to run a mile with the gurney uh, carrying somebody. And like every 800 or 400, I don't remember exactly what it was. You had to like switch people out and do all that kind of stuff. So then you come down into the arena, or into the stadium at that point because we were in Carson. And you do your push presses and then you do your pull-ups and then you start doing the squats. And the, for some reason, those were the hardest squats I've ever done. And all three guys on the team all agreed and like we had to drop it down and I just kind of like fell over the worm and the girls wanted to pick it up and I kept laying on the worm and I'm like, I'm not moving yet. Like we're not picking it up. I don't care <laughs> if we're in a race right now, like give me a minute. So I'm laying there. And then at that moment, I'm honestly thinking like, as soon as the games are over, I'm done. Like this isn't happening again. And then to top it off, you had to finish the run the second time with the gurney. So at this point I'm getting carried and I'm the heaviest guy in the squad and everybody's already exhausted and they're carrying me. And then they drop me from being like, I don't know if that's on camera or not, but the, we're all jogging and I'm laying there like finally get a re- uh, rest and relax. And then all of a sudden it's just wham onto the concrete because they dropped me because they're, everybody's just exhausted at this point. And again, I'm just like, I'm over it. Like I'm not coming back ever again. <laughs> I, I I love uh, my favorite stories from the CrossFit games are not from the people who have amazing competitions and, and win because even if they went through this, they had these thoughts in their mind, but if they, you know, they win the middle and at the end, they're like, it's all, it's all great because the, the good emotions are just, are just yeah. taking over their brain. But the people who legitimately remember those like really rough moments, I love hearing from them because it is a test. And I think on the team side, especially where you competed um, it's underestimated because so much attention is on the individuals, but, yeah. but that those team tests are grueling, man. They are absolutely <laughs> grueling. So kudos, kudos to you for competing <laughs> at that level, because I think sometimes the team athletes go through it harder than the individuals. The teams are tough. Yeah. Especially, I mean, back then when you're trying to organize like six people going through all these workouts, it was difficult. Um, I can only imagine what it is with four. I mean, the workouts are obviously structured a bit different, but the the team stuff is, is very difficult. I mean, and we still did well that year. We got mm-hmm. sixth yeah. place. Yeah. And like you're saying, like people who finished well, usually are like, Oh, it was a great experience. And I finished well. I was like, that nah, six is good for me. I am done. <laughs> so Blaine, the, the last thing I want to kind of chat about, well, my second to last question for you is, um, you know, Bob you're still relatively new in the sport. Just, just over, call it two years in the sport. Roughly. We're, um, right. you're recording mid, mid 2020, the pandemic's obviously kind of put a hold on anything. So 2020 doesn't really count. So even less than two years in the sport right now, we're just going to pretend 2020 hasn't happened. Um, what are your, I mean, this might be an obvious question, but I'm, I'm still curious. What are your ultimate goals in the sport of bobsled? I want to win medals. So like 
obviously like with this sport, it's on a four year calendar and like the Olympics are what matters and they kind of live their lives in four year periods when in terms of a bobsled athlete. Um, but recently like the team has been focused on just winning medals. So whether that's world cup medals, world championship medals, obviously we want to go to the Olympics and compete as an athlete one, but I don't like, I'm not here to go for a title. Like I don't care about being called an Olympian. I want to be an Olympic medalist. Like I want to go there and like represent and actually win because I've been able to accomplish a lot up until this point in terms of like my athletic career. And I don't really care for titles anymore. I'm not big on it. And I want to go there and bring home hardware. So the, the plan is hopefully we get to compete this year. And if we do world championships is actually at our home track in New York this season. Is that Lake Placid? Lake Placid. Yeah. Up North. So we, world championships would end up being in like February, March. Um, and those would be at Lake Placid. And we, as a bobsled team, want to go out there and represent and win medals on our own track and kind of set up what would be kind of a launching pad going into the Olympics. So I think if we can race this year and we can go, I think we have a really good chance of bringing home a lot of medals at world championships. And I think that's going to be a huge confident boost leading into the Olympics in China. Well, my, my hope is that we can get back to competition across all sort of strength sports. And now I'm paying attention to bobsled. So you just added something else to my calendar to watch. And, and Blaine, I really appreciate you taking the time to chat about your journey, to chat about the specific challenges and rigors of your sport. What's the best place for people to keep up to date with your training and what's going on in your career? Um, Instagram's a decent place. I post there every once in a while. Um, I've been starting a YouTube channel. So like in terms of my training mm -hmm. uh, for the past 12 weeks, I've got every single workout that I've ever done on YouTube right now. And I actually like list out what I'm doing. So if you want to know like the exact workouts I'm doing on YouTube, it's Blaine McConnell. Look in the description. If you go back to my first video, it's basically an entire program in itself. It's literally everything that I'm doing. Uh, and part of the reason I'm doing that is, is I want to have documentation. Like if everything goes the way it plans and we win medals on the Olympics, I think it would be cool to kind of have this kind of collective montage of what it took to get there. And from what I know, there's nothing like that on YouTube. So I feel like if it happens, great. The master plan worked out and you see like a gold medal plan. But if it doesn't, then you also kind of just see the journey of what it's like to be a real life athlete who's focused on one total thing right now and just going for it. So um, I would say check out the YouTube page, go look at the workouts. You'll see exactly what it is that I'm doing every day. Awesome. Blaine, thanks so much for taking the time to join us. It was a, a pleasure getting to know you and, uh, and best of luck moving forward in the sport. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it.